Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome everybody to go inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Sotolaro, and with me, always, I am excited every week just so I get to introduce the man, the man who can fall down the stairs and accidentally innovate four people on the way down. Kelly Grayson, KG, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's actually five. Is it five? It's five. Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah know. it's five. But I, I appreciate that, man. Don't. Uh, not one to hide my light under a bushel. Uh, so I mean, I mean, you got to be you got to be carrying all them tubes with you though, too, as you're going down, man. So that's yeah, pretty that's true. Yeah, two two between each finger and, and one between my index finger and forefinger. If I spin it right, I can I can hit all five of them on the way down. Bang, bang, that's bang. good. Can we get the video of that? I think that would be good to videotape and actually just dissect it, just to make sure you're using. Because I can't believe you're changing your gloves after each innovation. Oh no, no, no. I uh, but. But if you do it right, you, you don't contaminate anything. Only you know, only the tube that you put in. See, so when you're that good, when you can when you can fall down a flight of stairs and accidentally intubate five people on the way down, you're also good enough to do them all with aseptic technique. So you know, it's one of the things. Living in your mind is really uh... <laughs> yeah, it is. it is. the The soundtrack to that video needs to be yakety sax or something. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine. I, I know I would change the station, I'll tell you that. So, <laughs> so you know, Kelly, uh, I, we did a show last week, and, you know, it's exciting, I think, when we have the opportunity to get feedback from the people who listen to the show. And, you know, it's just amazing. You know, we think we're over a million listens and six years and 400-some-odd shows, and we're, you know, still continuing to get people who are just uh, interested in, you know, the things that we have to say. And I think it's an honor that we have the opportunity to come and visit. And we did get, uh, we did a show last week from a listener and we have another one this week. And I went back in the, in the archives to see if we've done this before. I could almost swear that we did, but I couldn't find the show after 400. I stopped at like 300 something. Um, but uh, Amy from Helena, I guess that's in Montana. Amy wants to know, how to make EMS a career. And, you know, it's interesting, Kelly, because the age-old question, is EMS a career field or is EMS a stepping stone, I think is something that I always ask myself as an EMS leader. And one of the things that I embraced, and a lot of the EMS leaders embrace, is the fact that we're not going to keep people for 20 years. And it's the oddity of people who stay with us for 10 or 15 or 20 years. And certainly after 10 or 15 or 20 years on the truck, and it made me think of you as we were talking about this, because you've had the opportunity to be in the leadership side of the business and you still work on the truck. And uh, I'll ask you why, but I guess I know the answer and I'll I'll kind of preface it before I get to that question. But when we think about EMS as a career field or EMS as a stepping stone, I've embraced the fact that it's a stepping stone, and my job is to help people get to where they want to be. So if they want to go to nursing school, what's the best way to help them? If they want to go to the fire department, what's the best way to help them? If they want to come phys- become physicians, what's the best way to help them? But are we really preparing people within our career field to make EMS a career? You know, I've, I've been in EMS since the Reagan administration, and I've made EMS my career, and it wasn't until five or so years ago that I moved out of the operational side of the business to get into the transformational side of community Mm -hmm. paramedicine. And I got to tell you, I miss running calls. I miss uh, leading people as a, as a chief officer. Uh, I miss the interaction with the crews on a daily basis. And to me, EMS was truly my career, but 
and I've had a successful career, I believe, and I've made a decent living after I've gotten past the living paycheck to paycheck as a provider. Um, but, you know, I don't know what that formula would be, but I, I, I've kind of uh, uh, thought about it, and uh, I'd be interested to know, you know, is EMS a career field or is EMS a stepping stone? I, I think EMS can be a career field. Uh, I think for many it is a stepping stone, and, and I think it's a shame that we view it that way as a stepping stone where, where people, we view it as, as people who were in EMS and then they went on to, to nursing school or became a PA or became a physician, uh, that sort of thing. I, I don't really think of it as a, a stepping stone um, and that they went on to bigger and better things because uh, I, I reject the notion that those things are necessarily bigger and better. Uh, certainly they, some of them pay more. Um, I would rather think of it as as we gave them a foundation to continue their career in healthcare, and that if we uh, if we did our jobs right as a profession and, and they did their jobs right as a provider, uh, they're more well-rounded and they move into other avenues of healthcare with still a, a, a fondness for EMS and an understanding of what we do uh, and the difficulty uh, that, that we face sometimes uh, in pre-hospital care. Yeah, you know, I wrote a column about that uh, some time ago. That you know that that geeky kid at the firehouse or, or the the squad bay that never quite fit in, you know, and he was he was earnest and but he, he wasn't really one of the boys, and he was only in EMS for four or five years and uh, um, never quite fit in. We don't need to look at that guy as as being you know not part of our culture because you never know he, he may go up, uh, grow up and, and get a degree in economics or go into politics and become a, a, a regulator or a policymaker and, and still have a fondness uh, and a respect for the job of, of pre-hospital professionals. And that's the kind of people we need as regulators and policymakers, people that remember what it was like to get puked on. Uh, people that remember what it was like to to work for the pay that we we often have to settle for and, and get woken up at three o'clock in the morning for um, for all manner of things. Uh, I, I liken them to uh, our agents in the enemy camp. Uh, <laughs> they didn't leave EMS. We just need to set them up as double agents so that they can they can spread our message uh, to uh, to the, the avenues of power where it really matters. Uh, all too often, we just preach to the choir uh, and the people that really need to hear what we have to say um, uh, have no background in EMS. That that kind of thing needs to change. But, yeah, I think there there's a definite avenue uh, to to a career in EMS. I think the, the key to it is, is you have to diversify. You can't limit yourself uh, throughout your career to being a simple field provider. Uh, now, some people have chosen that career path and they've made a good one of it. Uh, but I, I think that, that in order to weather the ups and downs, you have to be um, viewed and valued by, by policymakers as, uh, and, and your, your bosses as more than someone to man a truck. But you're a, and but you're a, you but you're a, but you're a field provider. You said you can't relish yourself. To be. So here's what I thought. The reason, well, you know, yeah, I mean, but I have but, only been a field provider and I've got a skill set outside of that. But that's what it is. I mean, so you're still in the truck basically because of your, your teaching, right? You, cause you travel what, 200 days a year, you know, <laughs> I mean, well, not this year, but, but, but you do. I mean, year, 2020, you suck. Uh, I mean, I mean, but, that's, uh, yeah, that's, I that's truck, 
you know, that truck's got a lot of miles on it and it's brand spanking new, I got to mm-hmm. tell you. But, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, so I think that the, there are people that have the opportunity that want to sit in the truck that don't want to to grow and don't want to, you know, get to that next uh, stage in their career, which is cool, which is cool, man. And I think that those are the people that deserve the respect of, you know, what we're trying to accomplish with, um, you know, what they're trying to accomplish in their life. And maybe it's things like you're doing, right? I mean, you've got to travel. I mean, you go to conferences almost every freaking week, right? You do your, you do your time, you change your schedule with your, with your peeps, and uh, you work for them, they work for you, and then you're off on the road again to on the EMS World Tour. But one of the things that when we start to think about it from the standpoint of growing your career, I'll give you my thought, and then I want to be able to, to hear your thought. First off, I think as you start to develop yourself into the best provider that you can be, you've got to be able to grow your EMS skills so you are recognized as a leader and a role model for your medicine for the way that you can for way that you conduct your business because this is what's going to open the door for other things if you don't give a darn if you don't have empathy if you don't have compassion if you don't have the wherewithal to know that you're into the the business in that truck is to deliver the highest quality of patient care and to move yourself into a position of you know being a role model and mentor for your peers that's where your career ends right there yeah I, I'm of two minds about it. Uh, a supervisor at, at my current employer said to me once, he said, uh, Kelly, you don't have to be uh, set the world on fire to make a career at this company. Uh, if you show up to work on time every shift with your boots shining and your uniform press, you turn in billable tickets on time, and you run a, a brush and a hose over your rig and run a mop and a figure eight pattern through the back every morning before you get off work, you can spend an entire career here and retire with a, with a healthy retirement and never having been a good paramedic. Uh, and he's, he's absolutely right. Most people, um, if they find a good employer, can toil along in, a, in obscurity or anonymity uh, and make a career of it and never having been a good paramedic. But I, I get the sense that our, our listener was not talking about just uh, making a job of it. It's making a career of it and making and, and, and you know, I think finding that, some self-actualization along the way. And I think the key to that, if you're going to just look at it as a career and your life's calling and not just a job that you hold for 20 years, um, uh, you have to devote a, some, some measure of, uh, of uh, effort into it and, and, and put your heart into it just a little bit. Right. And I think that uh, you hit the nail on the head. The very first step is clinical superiority. You have to be one of the better uh, clinical paramedics uh, at your agency. And that's simple in concept, difficult in execution. It's really simple know. in concept. I don't know that it's uh, difficult. Uh, uh, you know, I think it really comes into the it really comes into the fact of having to put yourself into your craft. I mean, we know that you know to be a good paramedic, you've got to be able to have an understanding about you know the disease yeah. process. You've got to be able to know you know you got to be able to think beyond your protocols. You've got to be able to master your skills. You've got to be able to have good compassion. You've got to be able to to manage an assessment. You've got to be able to. So I, I think that it's it's doable. But, you know, the people that don't care about becoming great paramedics, it's because they're not investing in their knowledge. It's because they're not investing in their skills, because they're not investing in their craft. 
I wanted to know so much more about the why. Why was this happening? Why was mm-hmm. blood pressure increasing? You know, why were ACE inhibitors working when it came to congestive heart failure? You know, so I wanted to know the why, but when you when you fail to do that, but I, I think the next step is after you've after you've gained clinical superiority, and, and here's the track that I want to give you. So I started off with my track because okay. I started this is the way that I started off. And then I ended up as a chief of EMS, and I want to talk about how I got there. But the next step that I took was I became a field training officer. And because mm-hmm. I, I believed in the skill, I was recognized for my for my skill. And I was one of those people that weren't maybe the best liked in my department because of my, I don't want to say I had an attitude, Kelly. I don't want to say that I was arrogant. <laughs> no, I, don't want to, no. I don't want to say that I was you egotistical. Arrogant? No, no, no. But I will tell you that I was confident, and my confidence sometimes crossed the line into he thinks he knows too much kind of thing. But the people that finally worked with me and understood my value of being a good provider wanted to work with me. The people who didn't work with me were the ones who would talk bad about me and said that I didn't know my, you know, uh, my butt from a hole in the ground, right? So then I became a field training officer, which gave me the opportunity to train the next generation of providers that were coming in. And then I started to teach in the organizational level. And it gave me the opportunity now to share my knowledge. And I started to teach in the NAMT classes. You know, I think the very first class that I taught was uh, PHTLS, and then I was AMLS. And then I was recognized, I started to get recognized uh, from the national side, which gave me a little bit of recognition as well. I think you and I met, Kelly, we talk about it. The first time we met was at a MLS class in, uh, that I had the opportunity to teach in Vegas, I think, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And that's when yeah. you were still going to Vegas in the NANT. But here, here's, the reason yeah. that I, here's the reason that I give you the clinical side first. Because as I made the transition into operations of becoming an operational supervisor, no one was ever going to BS me when it came to the, my clinical knowledge. When when people, because you know how it is sometimes, people will try to mm-hmm. buffalo their way through their their, oh, yeah. their clinical knowledge, right? And you can't dive on brilliance, baffle them with BS. Now, one of the things that you're going to find is that you have you have people in the operational side of the business that have no clinical focus. They went from being a they went from being a, a um, or minimal clinical focus. They went from being a provider to becoming an operational supervisor. And then all their time was spent on the science of operations. And if you're truly going to be a leader in EMS, you've got to understand the science of all things operations. But when it came to the clinical side of the business, before I made that transition, I was able to become an EMS chief because I knew both sides of the business. But let me hear your thought. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, backpedal a little bit. Well, not backpedal. I'm gonna revisit the the clinical superiority thing before I, I go into that. But you said you mentioned the the science of EMS or the science of operations, and that's why I said that being clinically superior is simple in concept, sometimes difficult in execution. Because for some people, trying hard is not good enough. Some people have a knack. Some people have an art, you know, and we, we both know that EMS, uh, provision of EMS is both science and art. Uh, and you can apply yourself, work hard, and if you're a reasonable, intelligent, you do enough reading and studying uh, and keeping up with abreast with changes in your profession, you can learn the science and be, and be well-versed in that. But the art is something that, if, not, if it's not already in you, if you don't already have those soft skills, it's hard to cultivate. 
Um, so some people have a knack for EMS that makes them, you know, uh, helps them be clinically superior providers. And other people uh, uh, are um, good medics in that they're, they're very clinically knowledgeable and skilled, but they don't have the soft skills. They don't have the people skills. So they, they excel at the science, but they don't have the art. Um, but you're absolutely right in that if you're going to, if you're going to progress in the career field, uh, you need to learn the operational side. You need to understand the, the billing and the finance of EMS uh, and not only how it's traditionally done, but, but be willing to explore avenues uh, uh, and expand it into non-traditional forms of reimbursement. Uh, you know, get outside the box because of those, those traditional forms of reimbursement are ever dwindling and ever shrinking. Uh, um, you know, if we, if we continue to rely only on, on insurance and Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement, uh, we're going to be struggling. Uh, in the future, and and the, the the movers and thinkers in EMS understand that fundamentally, uh, and they're they're they understand the the value of thinking outside the box. But you see a bunch of these these clinically superior providers uh, that still don't quite know why business decisions are made, and and sometimes it even puts them at a, in kind of an adversarial position with. Uh, with management because they think of management as, as they, you know, and, and uh, they make all these decisions and, and uh, they set up these dispatch protocols and these, these uh, deployment plans that, that run us to death and they won't get us these, uh, these cool new toys um, simply because they, they, they don't understand the finance of it and the restrictions that, that uh, operations managers and, uh, and the like have to operate under. They don't understand that that uh, the reason they get harped on for certain uh, documentation errors uh, and their sticklers on certain things is that because if you don't write it in that way, or I won't say write it that way, if you don't document certain things, uh, your claim is going to be denied, and that in, uh, directly uh, interrupts your revenue stream. So, yeah, you have to learn that. Um, you have to, to become conversant and, and uh, in the operational side of things. Uh, and I think all of that, Chris, eventually equals more education. And, and that was going to be my next thought is, is more education. Well, education um, how? What are you talking about education? I mean, you're not going to learn about the billing structure. You're not going to learn about system status oh, management. You're not going to learn about... Yes, you know, so you when can. you talk about education, and what do you there talk? Are, there are cl there are classes on those very things, but they are continuing education classes and certification uh, courses and that sort of thing for for billing and for operations and deployment and grant writing and 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 healthcare or EMS finance. You can take classes on those things and learn about them after the fact, but. I think that that in the future, being a more well-rounded career EMS provider, uh, many of those things that we learn on the job or in certification courses uh, after the fact uh, are going to be incorporated into uh, initial education, and and that will be part of the, you know, if you were to say get a bachelor baccalaureate degree in in uh, emergency medical services of whatever flavor you you choose. Um, there would be much of that incorporated into your initial education. I mean, ultimately, I, I think that, uh, I don't think, I know that our unique body of knowledge in this, uh, in this sphere of healthcare 
is more than enough to support a baccalaureate degree and, and even a master's. Um, right now, we're advocating that, that people get a, a minimum of an associate degree. But I think in the future, uh, more formal education oh, hang on a second. on the wall is going to make the difference for uh, for progressing up that career ladder. Not because it necessarily makes you, I, I, I know you're itching to interrupt, but not because it necessarily makes you a better provider and more knowledgeable, but it it lends some air of legitimacy uh, uh, in the eyes of people who don't know you personally uh, and are evaluating you from afar. Oh my God, you just kill me sometimes. Yeah. You know, I think that I think that one of the things that you talk about is when you say that it, you know, the the you. I, I, you know, I didn't have an associate's degree and I became, you know, I became a great paramedic, you know, and, and I don't know that an associate's degree helps you become a better provider. And when you I say think it makes you a, a better evaluator of BS. Really? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Whatever. I, I think it makes I you just, better, it helps disagree. you be a better critical thinker. I, I disagree with you, but you know, I think that I make a, I make a habit of disagreeing with you. So, I mean, I well, think yeah. that that's where the way it is, but you know, I think that, you know, the other thing that I don't even know where to go, you, you just fluster me sometimes, you know, but I think that one of the things that you've <laughs> got to think more about, education. <laughs> you can, you can jump up and bite my butt, but you know, so, but one of the things that I think about as well is when you're sitting in the truck and when you're becoming that master clinician, and now you're starting to teach, and now you're starting to mentor, and now you're start being a, uh, trying to be a role model. You need to listen and try to understand. And you, you kind of brought it up where you talked about billing and documentation and all those things. Um, you need to understand the system as well. You need to understand how the mm -hmm. system works. You know, one of the things that it tickles me all the time uh, when you talk about it is how um, – uh, you get moved around a lot for no on God reason. Well, there is a reason yeah. that you're being moved around and the posting plan is calling for you to be moved around. And, but yeah. the answer is why, what is the reason now you may get stuck at that post a little bit too long. I'll give you that, that that's something that, my, but what's my the dispatcher has a magic eight ball. That's, that's why I get moved. Is around. that what it is? Just because it's just for you. Yeah, right? that's, that's because you keep talking about him. That's because yeah. you keep talking about him is what the problem is. <laughs> But you need to understand one of the things that was really interesting is when you learn when I was trying to learn the science of system status management, the most science that I think I learned from a posting aspect was from sitting in the truck. And, you know, when and, you know, we, we hear that all the time. Don't dispatch from the field. Right. Um, but I would know that when we were at a certain post and a call went out, I would tell my partner, go to post 42. Well, why? Because we're going to get sent to post 42 now. We're the coverage for post 42. And sure enough, we would get that, you know, move to post 42 as soon as that call would drop. Now, sometimes I would put the ambulance in motion before I got that. And I got tagged a little bit in the, uh, you know, in the uh, ass for being uh, a little bit preemptive. But, mm -hmm. you know, being a student of the operations of the system and trying to understand what you know, the dispatch center is doing with you is really a big component of learning the operations. So this way, when you're sitting in a, in a supervisor vehicle, you mm -hmm. kind of understand a little bit more about what's going on from the operational side of the business. I'll ask this question too. How many people in EMS as a provider have asked to spend the day with the dispatchers or just come in on their day off and spend the day with the dispatchers to see what they go through? 
Uh, that's something that I've done, and I tried mm-hmm. to understand there. What gave me a little bit of pause was that not only are EMS providers not doing that, but the dispatchers aren't doing it either to come and find out the things that we have to go through in the field. Yeah, I think it would foster a whole lot of uh, um, better cooperation if, if you had to uh, periodically do a shift, uh, do a tour in, in either area. You know, if you're in the field, go, go sit in dispatch for, for a couple of shifts and, and vice versa. Um, you know, all too often, Chris, in, in uh, many systems, people are promoted to supervisory levels based on their their uh, clinical superiority, their, their good I won't even say clinical superiority. They're good employees. They not may not be clinically superior paramedics, but they're really good employees uh, defined as not getting any complaints, showing up to work on time, doing their job, keeping their truck clean, being a, a rolling billboard and, and turning in billable tickets. But they're not really good providers uh, or clinically astute providers. But because they've been there, long enough and and they're good employees and they move them up to to supervisory roles and then move them up the career ladder base that way and and they they're kind of sabotaged their success is sabotaged because they're not given any specific formal training in leadership and management and that's a failing in, in many uh ems agencies that you know you get promoted because you're a good employee uh, you're a good medic on the truck, but when you have to translate those uh, those those skills that that are good for you one on one with your partner and your patients, uh, don't necessarily translate to to running a shift uh, and managing a dozen or more uh, unique personalities and all the 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 uh, attendant headaches and and challenges that come with them. So, you know, moving to the operational side, you need more education. And if your agency doesn't provide it, you can seek out that education on your own. There are a number of EMS leadership courses out there uh, that that um, can make you more valuable uh, in the in the eyes of a hiring manager or a human resources person. You, know, you, you quibbled with me when I said the education thing, and and here's what here was the point I was trying to make. You've got X Y. You've got a paramedic A and paramedic B interviewing for a management slot and one of and they have identical experience uh they're both unknown to you all you have is their resume and their cover letter to look at and a set of recommendations but one of them has a degree in a relevant field which one gets the harder look i don't know you that know? i i don't know that i'm giving somebody a look because they have a degree well that's I, but that's, I, but that's you. But a whole lot of people are going to give them a harder look all other things being equal that degree is going to, to uh, warrant a, a closer look by a lot of people. Um, uh, that's just the reality of, of, of it. But you you were talking about moving from the oper- moving from from the truck to the operational side and, and moving up the career ladder that way. You know, it strikes me that 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 progression uh, as we move up the EMS career ladder is, is kind of reflective of your growth as a, as a, uh, provider in the first place. When you're, when you first start out in EMS, man, you're, you're the protocol monkey and you follow the protocol specifically because they're the Bible and, and, and how things should run at your service. Uh, and your focus is on you and your partner and your patient almost exclusively. And you don't see the big picture of things. But as you gain experience and as you gain knowledge and skill, you start to take a broader view 
uh, and, and, you know, your clinical skills develop and you start to see how those patients, uh, uh, how your care affects those patients in the hospital. You take a little broader view, but still, still clinical focused. Um, it's not because, until you become an FTO, like you pointed out, that your, your focus starts to shift outward toward uh, the good of the profession or the good of the agency as a whole. And you're in the military, and you know this as well as anybody else that served. Uh, the people that the, the FTOs of the military are the sergeants, the, the NCOs. They are the professional standard bearers and the keepers of the flame. Uh, that keep the military running smoothly. It's not the officers, it's not the PFCs, uh, it's the, the, the NCOs that keep the machine running smoothly. And, and those, I think, uh, are uh, the equivalent in EMS would be the, the, uh, the FTOs to the, to the um, NCO court. But uh, that's, I think, the step where you first start shifting your focus outward to beyond just your truck and your patient and your partner. Um, and as you, as you continue to grow and move up the career ladder in EMS, your, your view gets broader and broader and broader. As the machine breaks down, we break we down. We break down. <laughs> yeah, great platoon reference. And All right. Great <laughs> So, um, you know, so I think that there's, you know, there are things that you can do, man. You've just got to be able to, to put yourself in a position that you're willing to grow and you're willing to, you know, help other people, you know, and I think that EMS could be, I've spent my career in EMS and uh, I've enjoyed every minute and I miss the days of sitting in the truck and, uh, you know, interacting with my peers. But uh, Kelly, I think this was a great discussion. I, I think it was, you know, and, and to, to wrap it up, you know, we, the, the points we hit first strive for clinical superiority. And then as you're, as you're, you grow as a provider, Start to shift your focus outward into mentoring your peers and, and being an FTO. They become more well-rounded with a more diverse uh, sphere of knowledge than you had just working in a truck. Uh, and I think if you do those things and make yourself more valuable uh, to the the people that, that do the hiring, uh, you can you can find a career ladder in EMS and, and retire from it uh, with uh, um, a lot of job satisfaction and, and financial security eventually. But hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. Is a career path possible in EMS? Or is it still just a stepping stone where you are? If it is, how do we change that? What would you change at your agency to make a career in EMS more palatable? We'd like to hear your thoughts at the show at EMS1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Ceballero, two tired old beat-up career paramedics, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week.